Welcome back to the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined by Brian Joyner for a special impromptu uh, edition of the Red Seat Podcast. Uh, we are discussing the firing of John Farrell. Um, Brian, uh, what are your initial thoughts here? Not surprised. I wrote in my last Friday Farrell Farrell index uh, a couple weeks ago that even if they won the World Series, I didn't expect them to be back. And I think that Dave Dombrowski sort of even alluded to that today, that it was just time to move in a new direction, despite Farrell's, one might argue, considerable accomplishments for the Red Sox. I mean, he wasn't Dombo's guy. And uh, as you have parsed on Twitter, it sounds like he wasn't perhaps getting along with the players and the coaching staff as well as he could. Uh, and, you know, I guess if you're going to do it, do it quick. So I'm not, I'm, I'm not surprised at all. I, I think he's sort of gotten a bad rap, but at the same time, you know, it could be time to move on without there being hard feelings, uh, ideally. So what do you think? Well, uh, so my gut feeling when the season ended was that he wasn't going to be fired. Um, and it was simply because Dave Dombrowski has always been really complimentary of him. And, and clearly that was just keen politicking, uh, on, on the part of Dombrowski. Um, but it just seemed like with all the things that Dombrowski had said about him, back to back division titles, uh, seemingly having righted the ship here, it seemed like he was just as likely to get an extension as he was to be fired. And especially in a lot of the Red Sox circles that we run in on Twitter, um, there are a whole lot of people um, that were supportive of him. And I'd say within like the the group of people uh, that, that write about this stuff a lot, it, it seems like there were just as many supporters of Farrell as there were detractors, if not more supporters. It kind of felt to me like there were more supporters. So um, I was a little surprised. I wasn't upset by it personally, simply because I never thought that John Farrell did a particularly uh, good job at anything. I thought he was fine. I thought that the, the team was always kind of talented enough um, that they would have succeeded sort of with or without him. Um, however, I wasn't silly enough to realize um, that just anybody could do this job because we, we know what worse looks like in the form of, of Bobby Valentine. So um, I'm happy about the move, but I was still a little surprised. And I guess what I'm still trying to unpack is like, where was that disconnect? Because there were certainly those feral supporters and it almost seemed like uh, throughout the year, the fire feral uh, column that you did at over the monster was, you know, it started off satirical and ended it up to be, sort of not satirical uh, by the end of the year. So so how did that evolve? Well, it, it was never meant to be a frontal attack on Farrell, and, and that's not what it was. Uh, if anyone, you know, early on there were a lot of people who just read the headline and thought I was going after Farrell, and in, in large part I didn't. But the David, the David Price incidents and then the Apple Watch incident and all this stuff – it wasn't – especially the Apple Watches incident, it wasn't so much that it happened. It was just that in the fallout, Farrell was on such a different page than everyone else that it just seemed that there was an obvious disconnect. Uh, 
And in that sense, yeah, it became sort of a real watch of whether he would be back or not and, and that he and that he probably wouldn't be. I would say that the the vacillating between the fire feral crowd and then he had defenders was probably just an act of positioning where people were uh, wanting to be on the side of acknowledging that he had done a good job for the most part and wanted to uh, separate themselves from the fire breathing fire feral crowd, which is always extremely emotional and not necessarily logical. That's not to say he was great. I'm with you. Uh, I think that the, there's a, there's a huge difference between Bobby Valentine and every other manager. And I think that we know what a bad manager looks like is, uh, is definitely true. And I think that in a, in a lot of ways, it still won't matter who is manager. Uh, the same way you said it at times, it, it seemed like it didn't matter who was manager for this team. And I think a lot of ways it won't manager, but it won't matter, but hopefully in the ways that it does matter, uh, the new manager will be great, just like Farrell was in 2013. He was exactly what we needed then. It's not what we need now. So let's talk about what Farrell did well. And and I think that there's a, a few things that he did well. First of all, he came in, like you just mentioned, in 2013 and stabilized a situation that was just completely crazy. It's sort of, you know, uh, I'm not going to play the presidential politics card now. I'm going to go with something else. <laughs> um, but, it, it, you know, you take this crazy situation and you add somebody who's a familiar face um, to a group of guys who are just looking for a sane person in the room. Um, Farrell comes in, does a really nice job there, but then that's sort of followed up by two years of, um, we have to say, kind of bad roster management um, by, by the GM at the time, um, but also some pretty crappy uh, decision-making by Farrell. That whole thing with uh, the, the woman that he was involved in, I think she worked for the media, right? that woman um that Farrell was like sleeping with do you, do you remember this thing i vaguely knew about that i try to know as little about that stuff as possible i just don't want to imagine john Farrell having sex <laughs> that's fair enough but it, it seemed like he he brought a whole bunch of uh distractions to the clubhouse during those two losing seasons and um you know it wasn't particularly positive and then in terms of the way that he's communicated with the media um it hasn't been – he hasn't been particularly adept at that. I mean he's pretty famous around these parts for sounding like a robot. So I, I think that the communication piece is where Farrell has been knocked most of the time. I think he's been fine and I, probably too much is made of his ineptitude uh, with in-game management um, stuff because you know maybe it accounts for, for, for a decent amount during the year, but – Probably well, I don't know. I don't much. know if ineptitude is a good word. I mean, I was reading Tim Britton's recap and uh, of his tenure, and he he made it clear he thought Farrell had improved as an in-game manager. I think he has from 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 13 to now, right? I mean, sure, but I I just don't think he's inept. I, I think that you're totally right about the communication aspect being probably the biggest part of this, and that. 
the the difference between now and 2013 is 2013 we were coming off this circus shit show with Bobby V. Right. And we wanted we wanted someone to go out there and just have the poker face and just give it to us straight. Don't play around. Uh, and that doesn't work for this particular team anymore. And I feel like it sort of obviously doesn't work and it's, it's time for a change, but to the same point, I think Farrell will get another job and probably wherever he goes, he will be, a good fit uh, or hopefully he will be because I think there are some situations in some places where the way he manages is still valuable. Um, but I agree with the team. And I think I agree with you that the Red Sox next year is not the place. Yeah. And I, I felt a sense of relief when he was, was released. And I think the the biggest thing comes down to, there was clearly a gap this year um, in leadership for the team. And whether that started at the top with John Farrell, not handling the Eckersley situation correctly, um, not instilling in these young guys uh, that they actually did do something, you know, wrong or against the rules. And maybe we shouldn't be rubbing it in people's faces with the Apple Watch thing. And I know that that's it's, it's not a huge deal and it's not that funny. But I mean, I mean, it is kind of funny, but the way that they they went about sort of throwing it in people's faces and making gestures and stuff like that. It just came off as arrogant. And it seems like this is a particularly arrogant group. Whereas you had 2013, there were so many leaders on that team that were just like super high quality people. Um, you know, you had the Johnny Gomeses, you had the Mike Napoli's, Shane Victorino's, guys like that who, regardless of what Farrell did during, during that time, those guys were going to make sure that the locker room was fine. And right now, you know, we're dealing with a situation where it's a whole bunch of young guys that don't seem to have much of a voice at all. Jackie Bradley Jr., who does have a voice, but it's a little bit of a negative one, it seems like sometimes. And then Pedroia, who's kind of a dick, and Price, who's kind of a dick. And it's not the best recipe uh, for a clubhouse that doesn't have a strong manager. So, um, you know, don't sell Chris Sale short. He is also kind of a dick. Yeah, he is kind of a dick. And I, I think what we're going to see is a position player come in here, and I think that's why they keep talking about Alex Cora. They, I mean, everybody in the media keeps bringing well, up say, Alex Cora's name. You say that, but I see equal, I see equal uh, uh, talk about uh, sort of Veritech, that that sort of, but more Osmus. Um, and then the the betting odds were released, and Osmus had the 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 best odds to become manager, and Gary DiSarcino was next. Um, so I I would not say that Cora is far and away the most talked about name, um, but he is certainly one of like three. I mean, this just yeah. At the same time, I I think I I mean look. Not many pitching coaches end up as manager. Um, that is, or are good managers, and that pitchers in general. Yeah. So the fact that Farrell did what he did, has done, what he's done, I, I'm sort of impressed by it. But I'm not surprised, just from that historical perspective, that he's not gonna, you know, last forever. You know, managers who tend to last a long time 
tend to be, as you said, like they, it's almost always people who played up the middle. Right. <laughs> it's, it's, it's former middle infielders, often middling and then catchers, you know, and these are people who, uh, are intimately involved with movement, uh, and every single play of the game, uh, details you know they're detail oriented people so i would not be surprised at all if alex cora uh came in here and uh became the manager and to that end i wouldn't be surprised especially because dombo had hired osmus in detroit if if he came and same goes for gary de sarcina and same goes for veritech who there's no real reason he should get the job at the same time. If he did, I would not be surprised. I mean, it's kind of like what the Yankees did with Girardi. He had, he had managed in Florida too, but why do you think Cora is the best fit? Well, I, I think, let me start with why some of the other guys aren't the best fit. I think with Veritech, it's pretty clear that, Veritek has just such limited experience. He's been a special assistant to Dave Dombrowski for a couple of years now. He doesn't have any real coaching experience. And sure, he ha- he checks all the other boxes. But um, Dave Dombrowski made it fairly clear. And if there's one thing that we know about Dave Dombrowski, what he says at press conferences is typically pretty true uh, with him, which is totally bizarre for, for baseball executives, but he said that he, it would be extremely unlikely and rare for him to hire somebody who doesn't have coaching experience. Um, in, in terms of Osmus, I mean, this is a guy who, who he brought on, he has experience with. I like the idea of Osmus, but Osmus also has no playoff series wins either um, and seemed to have lose the, lost the clubhouse a little bit in Detroit and Granted, it's a different situation here, and guys typically do better in their second and third terms uh, as managers. But um, Cora just seems to be the logical guy to me because he knows what it's like to play in Boston. He was a Red Sox. He was a utility infielder, so he certainly is keyed into all of those in-game decisions um, and, and cued into what the manager needs to do. Uh, he's been the you know, working as, as part of the the bench staff uh, in in Houston this year with AJ Hinch and has been lauded for his communication skills there. Um, and then there's also the other piece that um, you know he he can communicate well with the Latin guys. I mean, I think that that's super important too. I was gonna say that. Yep. Um, and I, I just think you really need that in this game, especially in a in a clubhouse that um, you know right now doesn't seem to be the best clubhouse environment in the world um if if there is any hope for getting you know what you need to get out of Hanley Ramirez if you're stuck with keeping him I think that Cora is going to be the guy that's going to be able to to get that production out of him and generally he just seems like a guy that would know how to keep it light and and typically when you make a firing you go for someone who's strong where the person you just fired was weak and by all indications, Alex Cora is a tremendous communicator and knows the game from a tactical standpoint. So for those reasons, I think he just makes a whole ton of sense. Well, I'm not going to get political, but you could apply that to what to what uh, that axiom to what to pol- politics, obviously. But I totally I mean, I'm sold. I'm sold with what you say. Uh, I think keeping it light. That's that's the best way to put it. He 
he always, you know, in his playing days, he always had a lightness about him um, and a, a real likability. I remember really liking him, even though, uh, you know, he was he on the Red Sox. Oh, yeah. Yeah. OK. But he was also on many other teams, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. He was on the Red Sox for a few years. I'll look it up now. But yeah. Well, that case, I mean, right. So. I mean, that certainly works in his favor, too, but he's not like a career Red Sox uh, by any means. But, yeah, I, I, I always liked him. I'm not keen on the idea of Osmus for the reasons you've specified, and uh, we don't need – I don't know if this is true. I got, I've sort of gotten a humorless uh, vibe from him, and I don't – it might not be true at all, but the better point is we need someone who – has a lightness to him but also an ability to communicate so yeah i don't think I, i've ever seen osmus smile yeah see that's not good that's <laughs> no, that's not, not good at all that's not good it, like if you were going to hire osmus i can't unless dombrowski really wants his guy I, I i can't see why you would in a vacuum fire feral to do this however it, it seems pretty clear that dombo was ready to to move on and from what you said from what you tweeted sounds like he's not uh, big on hanley ramirez either yeah it's certainly not so i watched the press conference today and a few things really stuck out um he, he was asked you know was there any amount of games that this team could have won and you wouldn't have fired Farrell? and he just came out with a flat out no uh and he also told the press that he didn't ask for any input from the players when when going to make this decision it was strictly a decision that he was thinking about making and one that he talked to Farrell's coaching staff about making so clearly when he talked to those coaches those coaches must have brought up some issues that he had either communicating with them or communicating with players and then you you, you pig pile all that onto sort of the circus that this season was at times uh, with the media and it, it just it spelled doom for him so yeah i guess that's not all all that surprising but the the hanley stuff really bears watching um i will put money down right now that hanley ramirez is not a member of the red sox um by by the time spring training comes around because i will i will take that bet one dollar you want to bet a dollar let's bet a dollar I mean, I, I think he will be, so there you go. So let me spell out the reasons why. Hindley Ramirez has clearly been somebody that this team has had to deal with, um, nudge along, try and get to do what they want him to do uh, for the last few years. Without having a strong leader on the team this year and him sort of being one of the de facto voices, uh, one of the, the older guys in the, uh, the locker room, uh, he really didn't have anybody to police him, and he was criticized by Pedro and by David Ortiz this year, um, separate times. And, and both those guys are really friendly with him, and I don't think that they would just kind of throw that around if if he wasn't doing what he was supposed to do. And Dave Dombrowski mentioned him by name at the press conference today. He mentioned wanting to upgrade or address the first base situation and do something with DH, and specifically mentioned Hanley by name. Um, that he needed to have a better season. So that coupled with sort of wanting to turn a new leaf here, if you're going to turn a new manager and you're going to try and change the, the philosophy and sort of the atmosphere in your clubhouse, 
I think you also need to change maybe the biggest clubhouse issue, which is Hanley Ramirez. So if you want to give your guy a clear shot, you know, why do one and not do the other? They've already shown a willingness to eat money to get this done. And I think that you could get another team to take on at least part of his deal, uh, you know, if the Red Sox pay some of the money. It's not like he's completely inept with the bat. We saw what he did in the playoffs this year. But that would really give them the ability to go out and get two bats that are impact bats and a new manager to really reshape the clubhouse. Hmm. See, my my general take on reshaping the clubhouse is that the manager the dealing with the manager and the roster are two different beasts because you know, Hanley is owed a lot more money. He's still effective enough. He was certainly great in the playoffs, um, at least the last two games. Uh, and it's just going to be, unless they just want to eat the money, it's going to be hard. Now, I know they ate it with Pablo, and, you know, that goes both ways. You say, you eat the money once, why can't you do it again? But maybe you only eat so much money. I just want to pause this conversation because Drellick just tweeted uh, that he thinks Hensley, Hensley Mullins, that the uh, Giants hitting coach is uh, a good candidate. Uh, oh, he's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Came out uh, that this one came out of nowhere. So uh, as extensive coaching experience, he's Spanish, English. Uh, I can tell you right now he speaks Dutch because he's from Curacao. So well, that'd be good for bogey. Yeah. It's a, Good. That's a name to keep an eye on. Uh, I wouldn't mind if they got rid of Hanley. He's certainly not the most productive player in the world. I just think that that might end up being more trouble than it's worth because my general my general view of the offense is that if you added one player, let's just call him J.D. Martinez, mm-hmm. okay? Or Carlos Santana. I prefer Martinez even though the fit isn't perfect. But either one, okay? I think if you add one of those players – plus Mookie rebounding, plus Benintendi and Devers getting Devers getting a little bit more run. I think the offense, if you add one player who's good, the other guys are also going to be better, and I think the offense will be a lot better. So I don't think replacing Hanley from a production standpoint is absolutely necessary. And while it could be good from a clubhouse uh, perspective, it might be harder and more trouble than it's worth. However... As we have seen with Dombrowski, and as you've illustrated in uh, talking about his uh, communication, he is very straightforward, and he will not blow smoke. Uh, so if he's saying that, he might very well uh, be willing to move on, and that would be fine, and I would owe you a dollar. So we will see how that one plays out. Uh, I think in general, though, this team is pretty... I, I wrote something today that got swamped because it it was scheduled for 10 a.m. <laughs> the feral firing happened at 9.30, so nobody saw it. That uh, I'm strangely optimistic about next year's team because I think the flaws in this team were so obvious and they were still so good that there's, there's room for improvement after their second straight division win and uh, – having been beaten by an extremely good team in the playoffs. And that's good. I mean, I, you want to see room for improvement. You don't want to be this. You don't want this to be. I don't know if the Diamondbacks are going to improve. And I know that 
Tori Lavolo would obviously have been the ideal replacement, but it is worth noting that they won as many games as the Red Sox this year and did not win any games in the playoffs. So they basically did the exact same thing. I don't think that that's an indictment of Lavolo, but uh, I don't also don't know if I would expect the Diamondbacks to be better next year, whereas I expect the Red Sox might be better next year. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I think that the Red Sox very clearly uh, know what their weakness is, and Dave Dombrowski addressed that at the press conference today. He said, we need to score more runs, and frankly, I expected this group, as currently constituted, to score more runs, and too many guys had bad seasons. And, uh, you know, when, when Dave Dombrowski has a blueprint for what needs to be fixed, he goes out and he fixes it. And that's one of the best things about having Dombrowski as a general manager. And I think, you know, I I give Dombrowski an A so far uh, as general manager here. I think almost every deal that he has made has worked out. Um, and, and when you look at it, I mean, the starting rotation is going to be fine. You're, you might want to add a little depth there. You might want to re-sign Fister, something like that, uh, for, for next year so you have some added depth. Um, with the bullpen, I think that unit looks really strong. You might want to add a lefty reliever to that uh, going forward. But by and large, it's going to be bats. And I think that... W- well, and w- the hyperbaric chamber to put Carson Smith for the next four months. Yeah, exactly. So he doesn't hurt himself. Maybe, maybe throw a recovering uh, Tyler Thornburg in there as well. Um, oh my god, I totally forgot he existed. Oh yeah, he exists, and people are already planning on him to be the de facto replacement for Addison Reed, who's a free agent. But I say sign Addison Reed anyway, just to, to have him as a replacement for like a Heath Hembry. So may, the, the, the more good relievers, uh, the better. And, and hopefully Dave Dombrowski doesn't feel the need to trade for one of those guys. But let me tell you, I, I think that Dave Dombrowski is not going to just solve the Red Sox offensive issues with one player. Um, I think he's going to do it with two uh, because when he sees an issue, he typically goes out and does something like trade for Chris Sale or, you know, any, any number of moves like that. And I know that Hanley Ramirez can be great at times, but let me give you his weighted runs created for the last three seasons, 90, 128, and 93. So he's been a below average player two of the last three seasons. Uh, with the Red Sox, and there's no real reason to believe that in his age 34 season that his shoulder's suddenly going to get better, that he's going to develop a work ethic and all this other stuff. I think Dombrowski would rather replace him with two guys who are really good. Okay, I'm probably going to lose a dollar because you've convinced me on this. I will just say that we got to be careful when we're talking about work ethic because unless you know – I'm not – being critical unless you know specific things about Hanley people used to imply that Manny's work ethic was bad because of the way he played but Manny all his teammates were like that is the craziest thing because he's the he's the hardest worker here right however uh I am totally you're right Dombrowski uh is he's very blunt object uh approach to making moves and getting rid of Hanley and replacing with Santana and Martinez or whoever and whoever. I'm not even going to say the guy in Miami. We're not, let's, that's not happening. So Can you say the guy in Cincinnati, please. Oh my God. I mean, if they got Joey Votto, I would, I can't, I, I, I'd be so happy. I'd be so happy. I would make it's, my own Votto Jersey as soon as it happened. Yeah. And like, 
<laughs> you want to you want to talk about people who could beat a healthy Mike Trout for an MVP award? Oh, I know. I mean, Joey Votto is so good. <laughs> I can't even imagine him at Fenway. It's it, yeah, it's just yeah. too much. I don't want to get myself worked up. <laughs> so. Yeah, so I, I would love that. <laughs> I would love it so much. But, uh, yeah, it, it's going to take some, you know, what would they have to give up to make that happen? Jason Grom? Yeah, yeah, probably Grom, probably Mata. Um, you know, it, it would be your pick of the good young Red Sox players that aren't on the roster. I don't think that they would give anybody up on the roster, but um, – it's it's tough, man. I, I don't know. They can have Brock Holt. They can have Brock Holt. Maybe they would do something like trade uh, Jackie Bradley Jr. and have JD actually play in the field and move Mookie to center. I, I mean, I hope they wouldn't do that. I, my my gut is if they are going to make a trade that no one from the roster uh, is going to be actually leaving. And maybe it's a situation where you can stick them with a whole bunch of prospects that they like and. Hanley Ramirez as a replacement um, and cover a bunch of that money. So basically they get to fill that hole um, and still get a whole bunch of stuff for the future. Um, and I know that they definitely have been attracted to young pitchers, specifically lefties in trades uh, over the last couple of years. So uh, it's not completely out of the realm of possibility, but it probably isn't even worth talking about because every time we think that Joey Votto is going to get traded, he just stays in Cincinnati like he has for the last 10 years uh, with with really no plan of winning. So um, I definitely agree with you that it's always, if it's going to be a position player, it always seems like Jackie is the, the most logical candidate. Um, the problem with trying to send Hanley to Cincinnati is he can't go to the NL. I mean, it's just... <laughs> yeah, he'll have to play first. It just can't happen. So... Yeah. Uh, I mean, I would love if Cincinnati did it, but uh, we'll see. I mean, we will see what happened. I, I just thought it was really notable last year that at this time we were like, oh, the obvious move is them to trade for Chris Sale, and it actually happened. Uh, now, Joey Votto was not explicitly available like Chris Sale was, but Janie Martinez is going to be available. So it's there, you know? It's there. Carlos Santana, that's there. These things are there. And, so, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just going to say, so I'm going to I'm going to start saving a penny a day. So when I have to pay you the dollar, I, <laughs> it won't have cut into my budget too much. So so let me ask you, there there are sort of two groups of first basemen, because clearly they're going to have to do something there. Mitch Moreland is up um, and that's a that's an area where they need to address. I made a list of free agent uh, first baseman and trade candidate first baseman. And I want to know from each group, who are the top three guys that you're most interested in? So I'll, I'll give you the, the first base free agents first. Uh, Yonder Alonso, Logan Morrison, Mitch Moreland himself, Lucas Duda, Eric Hosmer, and Carlos Santana. Who would be your top three from that group? Carlos Santana would be the clear number one uh, to me. I'm not really thrilled about the rest of the people uh, either – they, they all have flaws on one side or the other. I think that Hosmer, I'm just not a Hosmer fan. And it's not saying he's a bad baseball player. He's a perpetually overrated baseball player, but he's not a bad baseball player. Right. Um, Duda is a great hitter, but he's a little limited. 
Um, and he gets so hurt would, all the time. Yeah, I mean, I would say that those are my my top three, uh, the the last three guys you mentioned. But I, I think Santana is um, is is a. I think he's a definitive notch above Hosmer, but I reasonable people can disagree. Who are you? Who are your top three? Out of those guys, I think I would go Hosmer, Santana, Logan Morrison would be my third guy there. Uh, Lomo had a monster season this year. I'm not sure how much I buy into it. Um, he seems like a very direct beneficiary of the ball, you know, of the of the yeah. ball flying out of the park. Certainly, but he, he does have that pedigree in his background too. I think it would clearly be Duda for me um, if Duda could just stay on the field. That's just such a worry with him. You know, if, if you're going to go outside of Hosmer and Santana from that group, you may as well just bring back Moreland because I think that he could be as good as any of those guys, and we know he can play here in Boston. Um, so th- that might be fine. But I'm really interested in the Carlos Santana versus Eric Hosmer discussion because most people tend to view Hosmer as the better player. Um, He's younger, right? He's younger. He's 28. He bats 350 at Fenway in the time that he's hit at Fenway, which is relatively small sample size. He had a really good year this year in terms of hitting for power, which is, you know, probably another thing that has to do with the ball. He had 28 home runs. Um, but why do you like Santana so much more than Hosmer? I've always liked him. I mean, I don't have any other explanation that I've always liked him and I've always disliked Hosmer. Mm-hmm. So I think Hosmer's per- perpetually overrated. I agree with you. Yeah, but I mean, it's I, as I've said, he's a good baseball player. So there's no, there's no doubt about that. Um, I just don't like him. And uh, you know, Santana would be a little bit more of the same in that, you know, he does have power but he's really an obp guy um but i you know i guess i'd be happy with either one of them because hosmer's certainly an upgrade i just just hate it um if i was throwing odds on this though i would be way way heavy on the odds that dave dombrowski likes hosmer about five thousand times as much as he likes santana i'm with you on that you know why because hosmer's got traditional size he is 28, not 31, going on 32, yeah. and um, he's known as a leader. You know, all, all these, like, old-school baseball guys love the shit out of Hosmer. Yeah, they do, and they have forever. Um, that's why he kept making uh, Team USA, and it, it was so – at the time, it was – it wasn't baffling, but people did talk about it. It's just everyone has loved Hosmer forever. All right, I'm with you. I mean, if the 28 years old – thing is good because it puts him right in this fat middle that the Red Sox don't have a lot of players. Uh, whereas they have players on the, the opposite fringes. Um, well, actually just mostly young guys. So yeah, I hear you. I hear you on that. I still don't like him, but I, I think that you're both right that Dumbo almost certainly loves him and that, uh, he might be a better fit. Yeah, that whole thing about 6'4 versus 5'11 at first base, too, is probably something that Dombrowski uh, looks at right away and, and, and thinks, hey, that's my guy right there. He's got that yeah. traditional size. Yeah, you know. That's true. I will say this, though. Doesn't Carlos Santana never get hurt? 
Yeah, he, he's pretty durable. Um, looking yeah. at his, his game log right now, I mean, both of these guys play just about every game, every season. But uh, Santana, 154, 158, 154, 152, 154. Yeah, pretty much down the line. He has been a healthy guy. Um, but Oh, he's getting older. so He, he is getting older, and, and we've seen his, his uh, offensive production drop off just a little bit. Um, recently but you're owning me this podcast you've convinced (laughs) me you've convinced me let's let's have the next bunch yeah the the trade candidates are much more enticing so so here's the group i came up with um and the last two names here are clear pipe dreams so you feel free to disregard them um but the guys are brandon belt uh justin bohr uh joey Votto, and freddie freeman I mean, Freeman's really interesting because of where the Braves are. Um, but they also just signed him like through 2021. Like, well, you know, clear, when, clearly when they did, have. I don't know. But when, when, but they did it when they had the GM who just got fired, right? Right. That's what I'm saying, man. Capella, yeah. I mean, Freeman would be. Uh, I mean, I've, we've talked about Vado. That's that's almost a separate issue um, because. <laughs> No, I mean seriously, it's no, like it the is. Chris. It's like the Chris Sale issue. It's like that's something you don't think twice about. You just do it. Um, Freeman Freeman would be a, I mean, a great fit. I think. I think he he falls into that uh, Votto category for me. He is, you know, being that he's what twenty seven years old and in the complete prime of his career and coming off his his best statistical season. Um, and he has a fairly reasonable contract going forward. Freeman is just about as as attractive as as anybody. I mean, I'd rather have Joey Joey Votto. Yeah, he's 28 years old. He just turned 28. In 117 games this year, he had 28 home runs, 84 runs, 71 RBI, and eight steals, while having a 4.03 OBP. Guy's so monster. so what so what we're saying is JBJ and Grom something else for Freeman and then sign JD Martinez. Yeah, move him to the outfield. That's the move. And this guy is <laughs> that, also that, that a six five lefty. That team would be nice. <laughs> the only thing is there's no way in hell that they want JBJ, especially with Ronald Acuna coming up like that's true. now. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I I don't know. I don't know I don't know if either of those two names are attractive, but let's let's go for the less sexy guys here oh the, the other name i didn't mention i'm sorry i forgot but uh jose abreu is someone who i thought could be an obvious trade candidate the only knock with abreu is that um he's a righty not a lefty here and it, and it seems pretty clear that the team wants a lefty bat in that spot but but maybe it doesn't matter because he's such a good hitter what do you think and, about him well the the good thing about him is you know he's available so that's 100 Right. So that's the that's the best part of him. And I think Dombrowski has shown um, time and time again that when someone is available, he's able to get them, Um, be it Miguel Cabrera or Chris Sale. So that's certainly enticing. I mean, I wouldn't kick Jose Breu out of bed because he was a righty. (laughs) Um, Not not for this team. I think I'd prefer Freddie Freeman. Uh, But yeah, no, any any of. The, either of those two guys would be wonderful. They're very good at baseball. They're great. If you can't get one of the top three guys out of Votto, Freeman, and uh, Abreu, 
Out of Boer and Belt, who do you think makes the better fit for the team? You know, I just don't know enough about Boer. I know that Belt is just Belt is just a solid baseball player. Yeah, and his power has just been completely depressed by that park that he plays in. Yeah, I mean, he's just a solid. He's a solid, solid baseball player. I mean, question is, are we going for floor or ceiling here? I guess. And uh, I don't know. Bore for the floor. Bore for the floor. Um, yeah, I, I can't. I can't speak to it too much. It's not. Look, you. It's not like I wrote the Marlins comments for this year's baseball prospectus annual. How would you expect me to know? Oh, wait, hold on. Wait. <laughs> oh, no, did you? Wait, I did. Um, yeah, I can't remember that. That was 10 lifetimes ago. Oh, um, man. I mean, it was literally this time last year so um, that I was writing. Anyhow, yeah, I don't really have an opinion on that. All right, let's move on to a couple of the other things that I diagnosed as being um, – things that this team needs to address in the offseason. So we talked about a big bopper at first base. We talked about J.D. Martinez. We talked about a possibility of a trade partner for Hanley. Um, two things that we haven't talked about are whether or not the team needs another lefty reliever. And clearly now with the Pedroia Nice situation, a quality utility infielder is a serious priority, and I don't think that Brock Holt counts as that uh, anymore. Um this brings us to the idea of Eduardo Nunez probably being the exact perfect guy for that if he was healthy. Where do you think the team goes with a quality utility infielder? And do you think that they will pursue a lefty or will they just look to kind of build off what they have in the system? Or do you even I, think those things are needed? I think that the the big picture stuff is more important now. And I do think that the middle infielder is, is a big picture thing. Um, it's hard. It's, it's hard to, to say bad things about Nunez given what happened this year. And frankly, when people were a little bit bummed when they traded for him, I mean, he was good in San Francisco. Um, and they didn't give up anything for him really. Yeah. So that's a good option. Uh, it's that's something that yeah, but sort of by definition though if you're looking for a utility player i think i do think that these are second order concerns so i'm not uh all that worried about it i mean look if they're keeping robbie scott off the playoff roster they they certainly have um plenty of good relievers mm -hmm. uh whether the, maybe they need another lefty but that's you know that's matt collins's department that's mr relievers department i'm just a big picture guy jake not no it, the the my grander point here is that those guys are people who they can maybe get later on and maybe don't require as much planning to get. What, what is your opinion on that? Uh, I'm of two minds here. Um, there are two guys that are available on the free agency market this year that I think are going to be kind of expensive 
Uh, one was going to be way more expensive than the other, but I think that having a dominant lefty who you could use more frequently than Farrell tended to use his lefties this year wouldn't be a bad thing. Um, Mike Miner, who had a great year for um, Kansas City, is going to be up for a contract, but there is some rumor that he might go back to being a starter, uh, which I think would kind of be silly, especially considering how much relievers are getting paid this year. He'd be an awesome fit for the team. Uh, And then Jake McGee out in Colorado uh, makes a lot of sense because he was quietly a very good reliever this year as well. Um, Both those guys are up, but I think that if they don't get one of those two guys, and I think it's very likely that they don't, I think they'll probably choose to spend most of their money uh, on hitters but granted this is a year they might not care what they spend so maybe they do but there's a lot of options there's the option of you know bringing back fernando abad you mentioned robbie scott already uh renias elias is going to be healthy finally uh it seems like uh robbie ross jr might be back in the mix by next year he had back surgery so he's working his way back uh and then brian johnson and henry owens are being tried as relievers in the arizona fall league so um, those are a couple of guys that you know might get a little bit of run, um, probably not Owens, but certainly Brian Johnson has the potential for that. So um, maybe that's where they go there. I agree with you. I don't think that this is pressing. Um, however, I do think the middle infielder thing is pretty pressing. Um, I I I think that Brock Holt, in particular, just isn't a great utility infielder anymore and he he did have a down season there's just not a lot of power there um and i i think devin marrero i would almost feel better with as my utility infielder uh than brock holt at this point um i really like the idea of re-signing nunez if he is healthy i don't know if there's anybody better out there that they could really get i looked at some of the the names and None of them really jumped off the bat. So I think it makes a whole lot of sense. Maybe give him a one-year show-me contract, give him an opportunity to build his value back up and uh, be back with the team because it clearly seemed like he enjoyed it. As long as, as Matt Corey said on our last podcast, there's no ill will uh, between the two sides concerning his knee, you know, if he feels like they put him out uh, when, when they shouldn't have. But it doesn't seem like that's the case. Yeah, I mean... We'll see. I mean, we'll see. This, I, I agree that it is a real concern. I still think it's a second-order concern, uh, mostly because there are guys. Um, the Red Sox are a marquee team, and the most important thing they can do is get uh, big-time players, mm-hmm. and the rest may sort itself out. I mean, look they went and got Nunez this year and he was great. So it stands to reason too, that if they had to kick the can on this one a little bit, they could kick it for a couple months. Yeah. Um, and then when teams were sputtering next year, try to go out and get it, but you're not going to be able to go out and get, you know, Freddie Freeman or, uh, JD Martinez. So if, uh, we get the news cause, uh, Dustin Pedroia is visiting a doctor in New York today and is going to be back in Boston visiting another knee specialist tomorrow. If we get the decision that he is actually going to undergo knee surgery and is going to miss a significant portion of next year, does that change the equation for you? Yeah, but it changes the equation. Um, But 
I don't know if it leapfrogs the, the, the greater concerns, but it certainly lumps it, excuse me, much closer to that than to the reliever. Um, I think it's still closer to the the big time players than it is to the relievers, but it would be obviously grouped. It would be right with them. Yeah. Um, that that would be a that would be a big uh, deal. And I th- but I think that that's also might be easier to to swing a deal in the off season uh, for a middle infielder. Yeah, I agree. I think that that's the type of thing that with their reduced farm system, they could still get something done fairly easily. Yeah, and like especially at second base because every, you know, every shortstop turned whatever can play second base virtually. Um, so they can find someone they would, you know, they'd need to do it. Anyhow, yeah, uh, you know, Pedroia, Pedroia's, it might not be great from here on out. So <laughs> we'll see. Um, yep, it's looking like that. What's he signed for? Three more seasons after this, or four more? Is it through 2021? I don't know. It's a it's um, a while, man. He's yeah. I think he's signed until he's 40. Yeah. Um. Yeah. This this I see Dustin Pedroia day, the first opening day at Fenway with him retiring. Not this year, and not next year. Maybe sooner than we think. Um. I, you know, I don't hope that by any means, obviously, but uh, we will we'll see how that one goes. Uh, do you think that he's the type of guy that will, when he can't do it at the level that he's accustomed to do it, will walk away, or do you think he'll stubbornly try and grind out his entire contract? No, I think I think he'll walk away. Uh, it doesn't it doesn't seem to to mesh with his personality, but I think it actually it actually does because I think that the only thing. You know, Pedroia's entire attitude, and as we said, is sort of a dick, is predicated on the fact that he can play well, despite right, um, despite uh, his size. And if he cannot do that, that's um, you know, he does. I don't think he's the type of guy who wants to survive on reputation or lie. To, I don't think he's the type of guy who will lie to himself. I think he's honest with himself about his. Um, or honest enough with himself about his abilities that once, because I think with him, once it's gone, it will be very clearly gone. I mean, his base running is atrocious now. Um, and his fielding is keeping his value afloat. I mean, his bat is fine, but his, it's not, there's not a lot of power. There's almost none. Um, his bat and his, his fielding are fine enough to keep him in there. Plus he's still Dustin Pedroia, but Man, we will see. Uh, it think it's a little bleak uh, with him, but I would say that he is the exception uh, in that sense on this roster. Yeah, he's got to be so freakishly good at positioning himself to even finish as a plus defender on that knee this year. Uh, it it's just crazy that he that he hasn't degraded uh, completely to being below average with that. It's shocking. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll see Michael Chavis move to second base after all this talk. There we go. There we go. <laughs> yeah, trying to shoehorn him in there. Well, closing thoughts on the season, Brian, and kind of as we wrap up this uh, emergency podcast, uh, any any last thoughts on either Farrell or the season? I mean, 
it's not lost on me that this season went exactly as ever. I mean, I predicted them quote unquote to win the world series this year, but that's just, but that's just because why not? You know, I don't think that anyone takes my prediction seriously. I think the people who were actually trying to gauge what they would do, they also, Oh, they'll, they'll win the division and lose in the ALDS. That's exactly what they did. Um, so as a result, I was neither overjoyed nor overly disappointed with this year because this is what was supposed to happen, and it did happen. Um, and I would – I'm a contrarian by nature, so I think I was tended to be a little bit more upbeat about this team um, than most people who were uh, poo-pooing it, especially because they made the ALDS and they came two innings away from forcing a game five. You know, the Yankees are playing tonight – uh, they're still alive because they, they, they grinded out a game four win. And if they lose, do you think the Yankees are going to think this was, this was an unsuccessful season? Absolutely I don't think so. Not. Yeah. Absolutely not. So I think that there's our expectations and then there's just sort of the net, um, the net, uh, calculation of what they did and didn't do. And I think they, you know, they have so maybe they weren't, uh, a, a great team, but they have some great players and they have a, I was worried coming into this year that the Yankees base of players was for, was dis- definitively better than the Red Sox. And I actually don't think that anymore. I think they're both extremely good. Um, so as I, as I wrote today, I am actually hopeful going forward. I don't feel bad because I don't feel like we blew a chance. I think our chances are yet to come. Yeah, I agree with you. I'm I'm feeling really hopeful about the future uh, for the Red Sox, and I think I'll be feeling even more hopeful if they're able to land a quality guy uh, in that manager's position and uh, and get a couple of these bats. And you know what? I'm fully confident that we are going to be uh, very active on this podcast in the off season with uh, Dave Dombrowski having a goal in mind because when he has a goal, he uh, typically hits it. So. Um, we will be back with you, uh, not on a regular basis now because it's we're officially in the off season. Um, but we will be back for things like uh, winter meetings and hot stove and uh, all that good stuff, spring training, uh, as 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 need arises. Uh, but typically, you'll be able to hear from us at least once a month uh, from now on out. So uh, we thank all of you guys who have been with the show uh, throughout the year. Um, we really appreciate all your support. We've grown the show this year, and that is in no small part to all of you guys out there sticking with us. Um, so if you enjoyed the show this year, please go on to iTunes and Stitcher and rate and review us. Um, that really helps us out there. You can also subscribe to us so we come right to your iPhone. Um, and, uh, yeah, thanks, Brian. This has been a one of the best seasons, I think the best season of the Red Seat uh, out of two. Um, but w- we will certainly be back for a third. Yeah, and I mean, they own, they always win the division when we have the Red Seat, so that's good. <laughs> exactly. We're perfect so far. So uh, thank all you guys, and we'll be with you next time.